welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about Casper with the wonderful Jamie Loftus. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. First, I just need to let you know that You Are Good is made possible with your support. You make this show possible. Patreon supporters, Apple subscribers, you are how the thing is funded. You are how we pay the majority of our bills. You also, in exchange, get bonus episodes. And we have a new one coming out uh, very soon uh, that is a meandering tour through horror we are presently interested in <laughs> and more just in time for the whole of October. You Are Good is made possible with support from Knack Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. Before we begin, I need to let you know that this episode was made possible by Inked Gaming. It's a trusted one-stop shop for those who seek premium goods specifically crafted by gamers for gamers. We know if you're listening to this Casper episode, we know if you're listening to a feelings podcast about movies, gaming may be part of your day-to-day life. We know it. Uh, we know because b- people who come on the show are big gamers. And uh, I've seen you talking over there on social media. Inked Gaming's growing collection of goods includes everything from premium playmats to mouse pads, all of which are designed to help you level up your gaming setup. Creative expression is one of Inked Gaming's key values, and they show it by providing an entire collection of customizable gear that's waiting for your own unique design. Inked Gaming has been on this journey since 2011. They want to stay the course by giving their customers and fellow gamers what they want. Quality is the name of the game when it comes to creating premium goods. That's why Inked makes sure not to shape or ship anything that they wouldn't want to use themselves. So, Do you have a big game night battle coming up? If you do, it's time to go over to inkedgaming.com and stock up on some fresh supplies. Team Inked will be happy to help. And having Inked Gaming as a sponsor means we have access to certain perks so we can offer those exclusively to you, our listeners. There's a 10% off discount waiting for you at inkedgaming.com slash you are good. Again, inkedgaming.com slash you are good. Or you can just use the promo code you are good at checkout the discount will automatically apply to your order. And did you know that we release a playlist for each week's episodes? They're uh, inspired by the movie. They're inspired by the conversation about the movie. This is very once in a while. So it'll be like, how could you not put this song on there? That's in the movie. It's not that it's, we take the movie in, we take the conversation in, and then we release this feelings based (laughs) playlist and sometimes themes based playlist. This week's uh, playlist has some contributions from Jamie Loftus herself. And uh, so it's it's uh, extra special for your ears. So Casper, if you are not in the know, is a 1995 American supernatural comedy drama film. You can tell I'm reading straight from Wikipedia, can't you? It's directed by Brad Silberling, and uh, it's based on the Harvey Comics cartoon character, Casper the Friendly Ghost. 
The film stars Christina Ricci, Bill Pullman, Kathy Mortieri, and Eric Idle. We didn't talk about this uh, specifically, but I'm looking at Wikipedia, it says the film makes extensive use of computer-generated imagery to create the ghosts. We know this. First feature film to have fully CGI character in the lead role. Um, I think we mentioned this, but it goes for a much darker interpretation of the friendly ghost in comparison to the comics, cartoons, and films of previous years, especially with its theme of death, most notably providing the character a tragic backstory that addresses his death. And like I said, uh, our guest today is Jamie Loftus. We uh, have so many tremendous, so many fantastic, so many incredible, wonderful guests. Uh, but Jamie is a great friend of the show, is a great friend of kind of all of the shows <laughs> that we have a hand or a foot in. She was just a part of the You're Wrong About tour, so we get to spend time with her there. We had the great pleasure of accompanying Jamie to her birthday party at Medieval Times <laughs> recently. <laughs> so this is a pal, and not just a pal. Uh, Jamie's work on the Bechdel cast is incredible and hugely influential. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's my favorite movie podcast for sure. Uh, and she's also produced and hosted limited run podcasts such as My Year in Mensa, Lolita Podcast, and Cast. I love all of those. Uh, and Jamie has a new book coming out called Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. Another sort of uh, hanging with Jamie story is we were with her when she was trying out some of the dogs for this very uh, this very book. So we're so happy to have Jamie here, a hero, an incredible, incredible person. How are you doing, friends? How's it going out there? Let us know at You Are Good Pod on Instagram. Let us know at You Are Good Pod on Twitter, uh, or you know, reach out on Patreon. I don't know if you can reach out via the Apple subscription thing, but you can listen to bonus episodes there. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoy this episode about this adorable little dead boy and his human uh, crush. (laughs) Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. Sarah, have you ever been haunted by three ghosts that all have different sides of a personality like Adam Carolla's? Alex, when have I not been haunted by three ghosts that all have different sides of a personality like Adam Carolla's? <laughs> Only these ghosts do a nice thing once. Um, how? <laughs> we'll get to it. Feels complicated. How are you doing? I, to be honest, I'm in a weirdly heightened emotional state because I just filed a piece and I feel, as I always do on these occasions, not celebratory, but incredibly lonely oh. for one whole day. And then I feel kind of good. Well, then this is the the perfect perfect movie movie for you. This is a movie about a person or a ghost who doesn't want to be lonely and who wants to be desired. There's a lot going on in this ghost. Yeah. The number of times I wept openly during this movie, (laughs) it's actually a lot higher than the average for this show, which is surprising because we watch a lot of tear jerkers, I would say. Although this is the first time I've watched this movie. And as I was texting with you before, realized some of the baggage maybe the director brought to it, which I'm very looking forward to talking about. But before we do all that, we should let everybody know that we have a guest, guest, special guest. Hello. Who are you? Oh, hi. It's me, Jamie Loftus, the... (laughs) 
the number one Casper 1999 or 1995 fan. Oh my God. I just blew it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh no. I, I guess I'm really not a fan. Casper 99, like Woodstock 99. <laughs> yes. I guess you hate Casper. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear. Only real heads know it's 95. I'm so excited that you, well, I'm not excited. It's, it's very sad, but like bringing in the Brad Silberling potential baggage discussion, I think is a fascinating way to come at this oh, movie. Good. This movie has so many layers. <laughs> yes. We've already talked about practical magic through the lens of it being directed by Griffin Dunn. Mm -hmm. So this will pair beautifully with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this pairs gorgeously with that, Sarah. Before we before we all get in and before we figure out what we're all going to bring to the table on this one, <laughs> do you want to let us know? <laughs> it sounds like we're going to bring just like what we're going to bring to the table and then eat with our ghost bodies and let drop uh, onto the floor. What were they? Were they eating like hash? Like they were eating that whatever they were eating was <laughs> disgusting. Anyways, what bread? So <laughs> they all eat in Maine. I do think that this movie does the most with ghost physics in a yeah. way and physiology that like most yeah. paranormal movies do not do. Somebody at some studio, somebody somewhere, we're once again going to imagine my prototypical studio exec, Gary Marshall and Soap Dish. <laughs> somebody said, tween ghost. And it was done. <laughs> And then someone was like, what are the ghosts made of? And they're like, we'll explore it. Like, we're going to go. <laughs> but we'll throw out a lot of possibilities. <laughs> None of them will really exclude each other. Yeah. And yeah, they'll all be different. There's no physical law. It's like Roger Rabbity, the way that the ghost logic works. <laughs> totally. I was thinking about Roger Rabbit also two reasons, because Stinky one of the three, like, Stoogie ghosts is voiced by Joe Alasky, mm -hmm. who was a legendary voice actor who was the voice of Yosemite Sam and who framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. And because I was really feeling the degree of acting that Bill Pullman was giving to an empty room is reminiscent of Bob Hoskins. Yes. Bill Pullman, I mean, he totally. brings it in, in a lot of ways in this movie. Which I'm sure we'll <laughs> and we'll just say that for now. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> Sarah and I have just been carefully dropping different horny pictures of Phil Pullman into the group chat for for days now. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a thoughtful. This is going to be a thoughtful conversation. This is going to be a loving conversation. Sarah's a little tender, so it's going to be a tender conversation. It's also going to be horny. Like this is going to be. Oh yeah, it's going to be about grief. It's going to be about having sex with Bill Pullman. <laughs> It's like crash in that way. One tear, one horny. That's how I live my life. Do you feel like that's really true? <laughs> Sarah, take us on a tour through Casper 1995. Take it away. Oh, my Lord. Okay. So one thing I love about this movie is that it doesn't begin by introducing its protagonist. It begins by introducing first the ghosts and then its villain, Kathy Moriarty, Kerrigan... Oh, my God. Crittenden. Crittenden. What an incredible name. Kerrigan Crittenden. You go for it. And she's like <laughs> such a wonderful sort of Cruella de Vil level of scary, villainous rich lady whose father dies, leaves all his millions to protect endangered species, and then leaves her this like old heap of a beautiful mansion, which is haunted by Casper and this uh, gross Stoogy ghosts, stinky, stretch, and fatso. And he leaves her the house, 
She doesn't want it. But then she throws the deed on the fire and it reveals invisible handwriting that says there's treasure in the house. And so she's motivated by her desire for treasure. I love it when villains want treasure and even more when they call it treasure. Oh, isn't it great? And the way that <laughs> Kathy Moriarty says treasure, like the, oh, she like, she's so yeah. good. And Eric Idle, yeah. I love that it's like Kerrigan Crittenden and dibs. Yeah, she got all his <laughs> syllables. <laughs> I wanted to quickly shout out there. So, okay. This movie, I learned through who so many people were or like saw so many who I would later learn are iconic people by watching this movie. Uh, ben Stein is one of them because he's doing the the will stuff. But I just wanted to shout out the Dyslexic Dalmatians Foundation, which is where oh that's so good. much of her father's money is going instead of her. And she's furious reasonably so jamie i don't know if you grew up watching snl reruns but <laughs> were you familiar with father guido sarducci before you saw this movie <laughs> and also how do you think the collective decision was made to go you know what you know who kids love father guido sarducci <gasps> no okay first of all i still don't really know what you mean when you say that i looked this up because i was watching this movie and i was like oh my god that guy is so familiar but i have no idea where from but i felt like it was an snl thing i looked i was like priest snl that's an snl character yeah, yeah. and i must have seen it this would have been like 70s reruns like the ones totally. that were on e when i was a teenager right, right. and then you watch and you're like wow the video quality is poor, but on the other hand, it's boring. And like many incredible and iconic moments. But here's my hot take. SNL has always been a boring show because they have time to kill. Yeah. Wait, so so wait, this was what at this point, like a 15 plus year old SNL character that oh, they got. Yeah. That's so Oh, I this movie makes so many decisions that make no sense to me. I no, I didn't know anyone when I didn't know. <laughs> how to fully string a sentence together. I think I saw this movie when I was like, <laughs> I saw it with my cousins on VHS when I was like five. Yeah, and you weren't like, thank God they put Sarducci in here. I'm so happy. <laughs> they checked the box for me. You weren't like, oh, I loved his chemistry with Jane Curtin. <laughs> yeah, we were all cheering for Sarducci. <laughs> I also, this is like always wild because I also for sure didn't know who the Ghostbusters were, even though I feel like that's maybe oh, the yeah. most ham-fisted yeah. reference in that sequence. I was watching this and I was like, well, why are we why do we keep asking for more Ghostbusters content when Casper is a direct sequel? <laughs> Who are you going to call? Someone else it's in the Ghostbusters universe. It's canon. I love it. OK, so Kathy Moriarty wants treasure. She and Dibs played by Eric Idle. It's one of the movies in the loose canon of like 80s and 90s movies for kids and tweens with a python. In them. Yes. Which includes a fish called Wanda, of course. Casper in a wonderful scene is sitting watching TV after the scary ghost guys have scared off Kathy Moriarty, who came to the house to hunt for her treasure. And he's watching Mr. Rogers, who's talking about wanting to be different than how you are. And it's so emotional. And it it fits with the the sort of Lake Mungo school of ghosts <laughs> that's amazing and that's all i'll say good companion movies casper and lake mungo 
Put that on a double feature Hollywood theater in Portland, Oregon. They'll both gut you existentially in different ways. <laughs> they do. They really do. And I would start with Lake Mungo and then end on Casper. So you don't want to go home and lapse into a coma. Yeah. To pa- as a palate cleanser. Yeah. My favorite, my formerly favorite, my cousin and I used to do it um, mostly because she was making fun of me. But the first time we watched The Ring, <laughs> Um, I was so scared that we immediately had to watch my big fat Greek wedding immediately after <laughs> to feel better. That's a good double feature, though, to like a movie that terrifies you and then a movie that makes you forget 20 percent how terrified you were two hours ago. Yeah, we're going to just embrace off the railsness being the way this conversation goes, because I also now need to mention a girl I went to college with had a story, which I choose to believe, about her little sister watching The Ring and being terrified out of her, her gourd, obviously, mm-hmm. and then watching Sex in the City to calm down. And then how does Sex in the City end with the HBO logo? <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so by that logic... She still just had seven days to live. Right. Because then the little girl is going to climb out of the static. And, oh you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So Casper's watching TV. And then we have one of my favorite things in a 90s movie, a fictional hard copy segment. We also yes. got this. Yes. In so I married an axe murderer. Oh. Yes. I have to assume that this happened partly because hard copy was less proprietary than other shows about being like parodied and stuff. Um, and it was like, whatever. Yeah, this is the kind of story we do. And this was like a thing that would happen. Like, like this goes back to at least like Ghostbusters. Like Ghostbusters yeah. doesn't do this with hard copy, but they do it with Larry King Live, yes. which is amazing. And this, and also Tootsie, the the Go Tootsie oh, yes, Go yes, montage. Yes, yes. I love. I fucking love fake real news yeah. and tabloid in fiction. We should make Alex. You should make. We should make. Let's all make a documentary called <laughs> Fake Real News. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And it's like Los Angeles plays itself, but it's just fake yes. real news. I do. I do yeah. like a fake real news. I mean, I feel like there's so many annoying, like really long winded ways to get out exposition. But this this like two minute yes. segment, just like I'm like, oh, I'm all I'm all caught up. I know who everyone is. I know that Casper is uh, he's got a, a big old crush. And like, then you just know everything you need to know in 120 seconds or less. Yeah. And it's also like, to, it represents how we communicated in the 90s, which is by watching TV. Mm. And I also love that we get introduced to Christina Ricci as a character by like the hard copy crew bothering her as she's trying to go to a new school. <laughs> hard copy is like, yeah, we do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like they're that. like, listen, I, obviously that's our whole thing. Why lie? Um, yeah. And so Casper shoots down through the telephone wire into the hotel where Kerrigan Crittenden is staying and shows her the hard copy thing while she's trying to place a DoorDash delivery 25 years too soon. (laughs) And so she hires Bill Pullman in his sexiest role by far as a kind of like Sam and Dean Winchester's dad. Ooh, He travels from town to town, giving therapy to ghosts and helping them to move on by giving them therapy, which is, I can't believe this wasn't a show. <laughs> so it's him and his chagrined teen daughter, Kat, played by Christina Ricci, oh. who, when I was growing up, I thought was just the coolest person ever yeah. because she was. 
And so they make the drive, which Alex, you and Carolyn just made the reverse of yes, from thinking of Santa Fe, although they're clearly in California because they're surrounded by Joshua trees, <laughs> to Maine. To Maine. Oh. To Friendship, Maine. How will that treat them, do you think? You mean like culturally, emotionally, or just as far as like a trek goes? I don't, yeah, both, I guess. Time-wise, <laughs> emotions-wise, like that's a long process. It's just going to, I mean, I imagine that it would be incredibly jarring, particularly <laughs> for a child. If Casper had a little, if he talked like uh, Fred Gwynn. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. Oh, my God. Although, I, I, yeah, I like, uh, this would be jarring for any child for this transition to go from Santa Fe to, to Friendship, Maine, which I assume is in like, you know, it's not a very well populated area. But like, yeah. fortunately, this girl's already been through a lot. She lost her mother and her dad is on a apparently fruitless pursuit to engage her mom's ghost or is he Hmm. well and also like she says that she's like already been to like nine different schools and like oh she just she's kind of like a they're 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 a bit of a transient family yeah she's like an army brat yeah she's a ghost brat yeah 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 that scene with them in the car together there's like so many like specific moments in this movie that just like make my brain feel incredible casper going through the phone lines huge uh bill pullman singing that's life (laughs) in the car for some reason man it is so fun to get to watch this movie when you're like wow bill pullman is so he's just uh, all bangs all bangs no filler it's just great I guys i really i just need to say this for posterity i'm not saying it to start a fight or a debate or anything and mm-hmm. like i i love how much you both love bill pullman in this movie <laughs> but bill pullman's hottest role is in zero effect and i'm and and we don't have to it's a, whatever this doesn't have to be a thing is that one of those neo-noir ones? It's like a Ben, I think a Ben Stiller directed neo-noir from 1998. Ooh. And and I just sent you a picture of him and his, not only is uh, is the bangs incredible, Ooh. but just like the highlights on the bangs and he looks like a dirt bag. I was about to say, are those frosty tips I see? That is, that's <laughs> very nice. <laughs> but Alex, that's, that's your Bill Pullman. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, totally. I, I'm listen. There's yeah. room for all of our Bill Pullmans to be the best Bill Pullman, you know. I'm picturing like a lifeboat with like ten Bill Pullmans on it, all hot in different ways. Like when Malkovich goes in his own head. You know, it's like- <laughs> yeah, it's the Pullman Lounge. I saw an interview with Bill Pullman from I don't know, like five years ago or something. It was one of those like awkward Google interviews that take place in that vast liminal space in new york (laughs) Uh, um, they never go well but i've watched 500 of them but it was it was bill pullman talking about being like i guess like really a really early cgi actor in in the grand tradition of bob hoskins and how like he i guess that like brad silverling was so encouraging it was like you're killing it bill you're like you're shredding you're great uh and then all of the like the three comic actors who do the uncles got to like improvise off of footage of him and so they just like they like bury him comedically in, in almost every scene because <laughs> they just could and bill pullman was like yeah so i was like it was a little disappointing because I was really trying oh. to you know, bring the funny. 
was like, yeah, you know, they let Brad Garrett improvise, so I don't really know what to tell you, Bill. Yeah, Bill Pullman's no Brad Garrett, but uh, no. he is great. No one That's is. Brave. That's brave to say. No disrespect to King Bill Pullman, but I will say, based on doing a cursory look at the Wikipedia pages, Brad Garrett may in fact be a more decorated actor than Bill Pullman, which is shocking. <laughs> But Brad Garrett, he's got he's got those Emmys, baby. You can't take them from him. Yeah. And Bill Pullman never got the Pixar artist in residency. <laughs> I think on like a long enough timeline, Brad Garrett could get an EGOT. Oh, yeah. Honestly, you should find someone to take that bet. <laughs> I think that that will age very well, that comment. I, I can see you making like $30,000 in like nine years. <laughs> <laughs> All these people fucking around with NFTs. I'm betting on Brad Garrett. Yeah. It's the same thing. You're playing the long game. Is there like a Hollywood long shot bookie? Like that should be a thing. Like the Sunset yeah. Strip sports book. <laughs> Next week, that'll be our sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Sir, it, re- it reminds me of that fake Hollywood executive character you referenced earlier. <laughs> Just like mm-hmm. leaning in really close and saying, don't bet against Brad Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Two things I know, kid. Action adventure will always have its place and never bet against Brad Garrett. <laughs> that's that's something that Al Pacino's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would say. Yes. I feel like. yeah. It's like on a walk, you know, if he survived into the 90s. <laughs> oh my god i'm sh- i'm sure he survived to at least 1982 on a ventilator <laughs> um okay so anyway you may be asking what is casper about well i'll tell you um jesus christ where did we leave off the card copy card yeah. copy yes. hard copy oh my goodness um so they moved to friendship maine and pretty quickly christina ricci meets casper who's super excited to have a girl in the house and they just like bond and hit it off immediately. He makes her juice and strains the pulp out with his little ghost hand. Mm-hmm. What else is established in the ghost canon at this point? I feel like we learn a lot. He rings out his body, <laughs> which is wet, on her passed out face, and mm-hmm. it wakes her up. What do you think about that? And I lost yeah. my mind. <laughs> Yeah, this seemed to be an impactful moment for you specifically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was just, I don't know, there, I had such a visceral reaction to mm. it. And I was like, ugh. And then I also just like. You don't I, think little boy ghosts should drop their accumulated <laughs> moisture onto the girls they like? Their ghost juice. And I also was just curious. I was like, what does that smell like? I can't, I don't know. I just, ugh, I can't. I think it smells like gain. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, let's <laughs> That's hope. nice. I like that much better. I thought it smelled like like must. Well, I mean, the, yeah, if you could go several different ways with ghosts. <laughs> Gain's way better. <laughs> Gain sounds nice. I also, I'm so completely fixated on Whipstaff Manor because it it looks like such a Hollywood set, <laughs> like, but it's yeah. so fun looking. And I'm pretty sure I'm like fact checking this to make sure this isn't a an urban legend, but I'm pretty sure that it is the same mansion that, yes, this is true, the same mansion as the iconic uh, Backstreet Boys music video, (gasps) Everybody Backstreet's Back, where they're (laughs) dancing in the same, like, grand front foyer that Cat's party takes place in. Amazing. So it must just be, like, some set in Burbank or something, is my guess. (laughs) 
It's just up all the time. We should find it. Are there like phantoms of the soundstage? Like, I bet there are, because if you're working in audio or video, like things go wrong all the time and you automatically want to blame ghosts, or at least I do. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what's Casper about? So, (laughs) so Casper meets Kat, they hit it off, and then Kat and her dad also meet the three uncles who are very rude and icky. And essentially, we then have Kat starting school, immediately liking this human boy that she meets. So you're like, wow, when it rains, it pours. I guess Casper is human, living, this living boy. <laughs> also all bangs, very a very bangsy kind of movie. Human boys were like 80% bangs at that point. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> you're nominally younger than me, Jamie. You're a significant portion of younger than me. Um, I was this age at this time Mm -hmm. and i will try to find pictures of me trying to emulate this bangs time but i was a i was a poofy haired boy and Uh so it required like a lot of work and then you just created some people could pull it off and it's silky great hair for this or they they had the right conditioning product that looked perfect and mine looked like gel plastic like a like a any monster? <laughs> yes, thank you. That's perfect. Or like, or like Ken, like like the shape of this hair, like a Ken doll's head, just like slapped on top of my head. It was a terrible time for normal people who wanted to try this look. But yeah. for guys who could pull it off, it was a great time. Well, this is similar to how the early to mid two thousands was like. The goal was to have your hair just be like as flat as a yes. sheet of printer paper. <laughs> and I was just like, and the nice thing about that, and also for your eyebrows to be thin, oh my as God. thin as a manila folder. And as someone who's just like very lazy and like can't get it together to do a lot of stuff, I was just like, I have a lot of hair. I have a lot of eyebrow hair. I'm not doing that. And as a consequence, I actually managed to not ruin my hair. <laughs> Which I'm sure served you well, because I, as someone who overplucked and flat ironed my hair until it like broke, pictures of me when I'm 16, I look 45 years old for some reason. It was such a horrible time for hair. It was not a good look. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the same thing where it's a good look for like kind of a rare quadrant of the population that like can pull it off because of like some kind of genetic lottery I would argue that's like the dark side of fashion trends is the ones that favor like 9% of the population, if that. Right. So I was surprised, given all that, that Christina Ricci was interested in a living boy, having just met a ghost boy, which is the (laughs) ideal. (laughs) Also, I watched this movie, like I got done watching this movie 25 minutes ago or whatever, a half hour ago. Like we do. I didn't even pick up on the fact that she had an interest in a real boy in this movie. (laughs) Oh, I just glossed over that entirely. You were busy Googling pictures of Bill Pullman so we could complete this lifeboat fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she meets a real boy who has a girlfriend, little, little, little Christy Christensen type girlfriend situation. And Mm -hmm. in the only moment in this movie that I found implausible or got hung up on uh, the teacher is like, the, the whole thing is amazing. He's like, we're going to have to postpone the Halloween dance by a couple of months. And it's like, so is it still going to be the Halloween dance? But you're having it 
in the middle of December? Because that would be great. <laughs> this teacher cracks me up. He's so chaotic. He's like, sorry, everyone. There's still a ton of asbestos in the gym. And you're like, what? There's a ton of what in the where? And, yeah. And then he suggests moving the Halloween dance to Christmas. And then later in the movie, when the bully is, you know, whatever, like they had to close the loop on the bully storyline and she gets embarrassed in front of everybody. The teacher also applauds and he's dressed as a lobster. (laughs) There was this, this character of like fed up teacher who is like also in the level of fed up is like a little abusive to the class to maybe a lot of abusive was like a big 90 staple. Oh, yeah, I I love this one. It's so it's just like every line he he only has like five lines and they're all they all make no sense. <laughs> like it's great. He's very chaotic. My, again, the only part of this movie I found implausible is that then the popular girl whose name I forget, so let's call her Mandy, stands up and is like, "My parents just finished remodeling their boathouse, so we can have the dance there." And the teacher's like, "Okay," and I'm like. Since when is it appropriate to agree to have a school function in a student's house without any of the permissions that you would need for that, starting with her parents and the school administration? And B, how big is her boathouse? Sarah, I went to I went to Parlin Middle School in Everett, Massachusetts for one year when in the seventh grade. And mm-hmm. so I was in Mr. Infanto's class. I'm gonna call him up by name. Whoa. And I had there was a guy in the school who just like was like, I'm gonna beat up the new kid. Like would say, like, new kid, I'm gonna beat you up. Like it was a, like a, out of a movie. Mm-hmm. And he raised his hand in class. He said, Mr. Infanto, I'm gonna beat the ki- I'm gonna beat up the new kid today. And Mr. Infanto said, as long as you do it outside of school grounds, I don't care. Oh well, we God. went to very different schools. And this is one of the moments when I think about that. And he did it. So I think that this is, yeah, this yeah. is the, um, th- this is the, what was going on in, in uh, school systems like I went to outside of boathouses. So in the 90s, you just had the school dance impetuously at a student's parents' boathouse or as this scene reveals actually in the giant haunted mansion that the new kid in class lives in, which wasn't even her idea. They're like, let's have the school dance at your giant haunted mansion that also probably isn't up to code. Oh, my God. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. (laughs) So we establish that. And then Kat helps Casper remember who he was when he was a living boy by showing him his room full of all his old toys. And he sees his sled and like Charles Foster Kane before him remembers what happened to him. And it's that he died, I guess, of hypothermia while sledding. And then his he didn't move on because he didn't want his father to be lonely. And his father invented a machine that can bring a ghost back to life. And it works. And also this 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 concept that Casper like chose to stick around to make sure his parents his dad doesn't get lonely um, suggests that all ghosts that don't stick around are greedy. (laughs) They have boundaries, Alex. (laughs) The the people with boundaries get to go to heaven. That's that's Sarah. That's the right read. That's this is growth on our show. Yeah, this is the right read. You're totally right. Thank you. Thanks for (laughs) knocking the the uh, internalized baggage out of my mouth. All boundaries go to heaven. I wish I was having an introspective thought during that scene, but I just was thinking about the plot contrivance of like 
that we only have one life juice <laughs> and like it's like hercules <laughs> right right or it's like life is juice but there's only one juice box who's gonna get the life juice and it's a huge deal in the plot for like 15 minutes and then you're just yeah. like well moving on uh no, no we're done with the life juice let's move on <laughs> right it like escalates and de-escalates very quickly and then what happens is that bill pullman ends up getting yeah. it because he like suddenly and comedically dies during oh a part God. of the movie where people are doing that. <laughs> he falls into an open trench that was outside the bar, which how did they get into the bar if there was an open trench outside? Parking lot entrance. <laughs> true, true. Him becoming a ghost is the first of several like what determines what shape ghosts take, you know, comes up because men are tunes <laughs> and women are yeah. yeah. human. <laughs> All the ghosts that we know to this point look like cartoons of ghosts. But this new ghost, Bill Pullman, mm -hmm. looks like Bill Pullman, but in the same 3D animation style, but is like more of a photorealistic Bill Pullman. So this is our first like, what are ghost rules with regard to who becomes what? And it's it's great. What if they just right. ran out of money by the time they got to Amy Brenneman and they were like, okay, Amy, it's all it's all you. Go be a ghost. Do it. Amy, you're a smoke show. Be, go in there regular. She's an angel, <laughs> so it's different. Yeah. She is. Oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, she doesn't answer it because they don't want to piss off Catholics, but she is an angel. And she's wearing red. Yeah, which yeah. is of choice. <laughs> like a lady of the night. Right. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. So <laughs> Kathy Moriarty also dies while she's trying to kill Eric Idle so that he can become a ghost and find the treasure. The treasure turns out to be Casper's old baseball, by the way. And in the end, the love we make is equal to the love we take. And <laughs> Casper gives the life juice to Bill Pullman so he can come back and be Cat's dad. The dance is happening in the scary mansion. And then Kat's mom, who her dad has been trying to find a ghost for him for all these years, appears before Casper and lets him go back to his living form very briefly to dance with Kat and give her a little kiss. And he's Devin Sawa. And he's Devin Sawa. <sighs> Final Destinations, Devin Sawa. <laughs> That scene, oh my God. For, like, And then they're floating for a second. <laughs> I will say, I, I guess I mm -hmm. wanted to take the temp on this. Devin Sawa slash Casper's pickup line, yeah. which is, can I keep you? I don't love it. I, yeah. And yeah. I also I, don't know what he's asking. Yeah. <laughs> Casper has big time boundary issues like speaking of boundaries as yes. you were saying sarah yes. this is a really great you know really fantastic point um casper touches a lot he kisses a lot he he holds your mouth shut he grabs you he rings his juice out of himself yep, and onto rings, you <laughs> you've got to get permission before you do that yeah it's a lot. You got to get permission. And he, but he does say, can I keep you twice? <laughs> he does because we had to hear it again. But of like, what does he mean when he says that? Like I, even as a kid, I was like, I think that's, you know, I know that that line is supposed to be impactful and I think romantic, but I'm like, what is he asking her to do? That's a great question. He just like stick around. I guess he's asking her to stick around. To be his mom, to be his sexy mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> this brings us to the conclusion of the story, which I find really interesting kind of in the legacy 
of this type of movie because they have the little kiss, which I have seen one million times and one million GIF sets. Mm -hmm. And I always assumed that the ending of this movie is that they have their little moment and then Casper's like, well, okay, I'm ready to move on and I'm going to go to my like blissful eternal rest. And um, thank you so much for setting my spirit free. And then it's oh, like, no, bittersweet. No. And I guess I assume that because that's how Hocus Pocus ends. Right. But and that no. would just make sense. <laughs> <laughs> that would just make sense narratively. And, and you know, it connects to the whole, the lineage of this type of story, which includes like Dracula and Labyrinth and MST3K's Soul Taker, where as an adolescent girl, you just grow up understanding that like, not only do you have to be careful about living human men, but also like, sort of goblin kings <laughs> and dead guys and ghosts and vampires are going to like, they're going to get interested as well. And that it's, they're going to romance you and make it seem really great. But ultimately you like have to remain in the world of the living and you can't go live in the goblin kingdom with them because you just can't. And that's like the internal logic of these stories. And then, Arguably, Casper walked so that Twilight could run. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to end my summary. Well, the, the question that you're talking about, like what he's asking is like uh, at the end of the and to the point of what you're bringing up by way of themes across those titles, Sarah, is like he is in and they're doing it in a cute way. And by no means do I think that this is like commentary, but like he's like, will you be domesticated? <laughs> Like you be domesticated <laughs> right. for my purposes, please, which is like just commentary on like a lot generally across the board. Not even ghost relationships, you know, human relationships too. Marriage proposals where like there's a ceremonial thing of like the man kneels before you once so that you will kneel forever. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. I love it. He's from a bygone era, you guys. <laughs> he's from he's from the olden times. He doesn't understand. He's from Downton Abbey ghost times. <laughs> I also, speaking of which, there is a point, there's a time, I was trying to figure out who was what when with regard to the ghosts, like what their times were. Mm. And Casper makes a lot of sense, right? Like Casper is is uh, from when you die in the snow times. Mm. Oh, that's why he's cold. Yes. <gasps> or is it because he's a ghost? It's <laughs> a great question. Oh. One of the many ghost questions I have, Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't he be able to make a little like icy Ooh. when he pours juice through his hand? That's all. That's my only question. But like one of, I think Fatso makes the point that I think like the, like Bill Pullman is in his underwear and Fatso says he's no Marky Mark. So hmm. either Fatso came up in was alive in 1991 to see when Marky Mark was an underwear model like four years beforehand but that makes no sense timeline wise or these guys are just like very well versed in pop culture as ghosts which I appreciate too well we know they have a working TV right? yeah oh great point great point I guess the rules of memory are kind of interesting and I'm trying now that I'm talking like thinking about it I'm like I don't know how consistent they are but I think it's like interesting that like you forget anything that would like Casper's like young life was very traumatic so he it seems like he forgets everything but he's also but but it seems like his ghost life he remembers sort of well well enough to be able to make pop culture references and the same goes for the <laughs> uncles and we don't know how they died i don't think and what's their unfinished business needing to 
watch a bunch of TV? That's a great question. It's harassing. And then at the end, it's like they're good, and you're like, yeah, I was like, I, I don't understand why they were good, but I, uh, I just like in the bar scene. Um, where it did seem like Stinky was very amenable to shooting <laughs> Bill Pullman with a shotgun. Yeah, they're real wild cards here. But you know what's cool about the evolution there? And again, like, I, this is just like accidental. I don't think this yeah. is planned. But like, they want to shoot, they want to kill, they want to murder Bill Bill Pullman. They want to murder Bill Pullman because they want him to be their friend in the, in like, as a ghost, like, a, as a fourth to their yeah. three musketeers. And in the time that they spend together, which is pretty gay, like he kisses them all on the lips a lot. And they love it. And they love it. They're like, no, no. Okay. They're like, we love this guy. <laughs> we should l- let him go. We we should set him free. Like, well, like in love, you can't trap mm-hmm. someone. We should let him go. And that's there. That's the most intellect. I mean, excuse me. That's the most emotionally intelligent thing anyone does in this movie. <laughs> wow. Good modeling behavior. And then they and then they actually do a solid and instead of running a con on him, they actually find his uh wife who is now an angel. I know. It is confusing how they like they say earlier in the movie that they know her, but then they kind of it seems like they don't know her, but then apparently they they do know her. They can go just talk to angels. Yeah, that's great. Do they do that often? We don't know. I love it. I was thinking about this. <laughs> When they were talking about how to find her and because when we were visiting Chelsea and Miranda in Seattle, we watched some uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark together, mm-hmm. including the one, I think, that has both Ryan Gosling and Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh! <laughs> and this thing in the 90s, which I think maybe maybe started with Beetlejuice or like maybe it just started way earlier than that. I don't know. But where death is like annoying bureaucracy. <laughs> yes, I love that so much. I love it. Yeah, I love to know what they're up to. I mean, I guess that's always been implied by the existence of things like limbo, where it's like there's a lot of technicality involved and it's like taxes. I rewatched A Life Less Ordinary recently, which is like considered, I think, like a much, much lesser Danny Boyle movie. But I love it. And it's about Mm -hmm. and it's like a love story in which. The very similar like Cher what, uh, Sarah help me out what's Cher Horowitz's dad's Alicia Silverstone no what's his, her dad's name her dad in the movie Dan Hedaya Dan Hedaya thank you Dan Hedaya <laughs> um, is is like running a department in heaven mm-hmm. and, and Holly Hunter of is one of is. these agents that has to and I think it's like Delroy Lindo like they have to like go and like set up oh. this couple and like heaven is the, very similar very similar bureaucracy, which I like. Also defending your life with Albert Brooks, where I think there's like a trial system involved. Yes. Oh, and I then uh, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, uh, which was remade as Down to Earth, the Chris Rock and Louis C.K. vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we begin with Casper? Oh, boy. You guys tell me. Can, can we talk about the director? Because it's haunting me. Yes. Brad Silverling is so fascinating. I'm excited to talk about him. I just wanted to quickly shout out that he, for for a good part of my childhood, I was very um, upset with him. He directed the Lemony Snicket adaptation, and Ooh. I was the most scathingly critical 12-year-old <laughs> on the planet of that movie. I was like, how dare you? You nailed the aesthetic and you flopped on the tone. Like I just had so much anger for Brad Silverling as a 12 year old. But, uh, but you know, it's been, it's been almost 20 years and I, I forgive him. 
this is this killed me when I realized this. So Brad Silverling was dating Rebecca Schaefer when she was murdered by her stalker. Um, Rebecca Schaefer, Schaefer was an actress who was stalked and, and murdered uh, at 21. Mm-hmm. And he was dating her when that happened. It, her murder was a, notor- was a notorious murder. It got a lot of, it helped sort of shape some stalking laws in California uh, after the fact. This was during the time when it was like, is stalking a crime? We're not right. sure. Speaking of of practical magic, this is in like Dominique Dunn gets strangled to death and her partner gets like three and a half years because crimes of passion are a real mm-hmm. thing, like right. considered to be a real thing in the public imagination. Like that's where we're at. Or because like it's a winning trial strategy to be like, you know, women, how you just want to yes. kill them. Yes, totally. This <laughs> yeah. is that this is that time. And so not only is this one of several movies where thematically it feels like that might be being worked out a bit because we have Bill Pullman's character trying to reconnect with his wife who has died tragically and very young. Mm-hmm. And he's like losing it, sort of de- dedicating his time to doing something that seems fruitless like it seems just like random that ghosts are actually real because it seems like maybe his work isn't necessarily scientific and it seems from the outside like this could be a point of obsession from the fact that he's a grieving man a a grieving widower right so there's that already and then in this movie he casts his new wife Amy Brenneman Mm -hmm. to play the lost partner as an angel well when you put it that way finally does reunite (laughs) with bill pullman to to set him free it's a lot and i am so curious about how that conversation went between brad and amy like (laughs) was she like are you working on are you working through something like were we having those conversations yet in marriages i don't know what was going on but do you think she said that to michael mann when they were making heat was she like so (laughs) are you working through something you know, you know that happened on on the Royal Tenenbaums is Angelica Houston was like a so is my character your mother? And Wes Anderson was like, oh, it, that never struck me. Wow. I, which is like a much better answer than like, no, he's not. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so I I just love I mean I like where it I mean who knows like I I don't think you're handed Casper in this situation and you're like I'm going to make this about me dealing with my shit but the themes are pretty close to home. Well, I never say that out loud either and then I make what I make and I look at it and I'm like, "Oh, look, it's my shit. It's everywhere." One of the most <laughs> annoying things I feel like about our friendship for you is I'm constantly uh-huh. looking in and going like, "Hey, have you noticed this theme?" and you're like, "Fuck you." <laughs> I never say fuck you. No, I just you don't. think it you don't and I say all. something more polite. <laughs> <laughs> I can see this interaction playing out in in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) You've seen it in real life. I've seen it happen in real life. I can uh, several times. (laughs) (laughs) I do wonder. It does feel like that sort of thing where it's like, yeah, you. I wonder if how consciously Brad Silberling was like making that 
decision or or if that's the sort of thing where he watches back the movie 10 years later as he's fielding furious memos from a 12 year old jamie loftus <laughs> and is like oh shit like my I, I was more in that subject line how dare you <laughs> subject line count olaf is supposed to be scary brad not funny <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Amy Brenneman's <laughs> casting is fascinating. And and also she's so good in that role too. I so oh, good. I love that moment with them. So great. I and I love I mean I know that she's done so many amazing things, but she is you know, in in The Leftovers, which is my favorite show across the board and I feel like every character is my favorite character, but she is just holds that show up in such an amazing way. She's a tremendous tremendous actor. Wow. Amy Brenneman and Carrie Coon. Maybe I should watch this. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. So, yeah, between that and then Justin it. Theroux, Jesus, it's nuts. Oh, the cowboy. <laughs> it's just sex on screen, uh, literally and figuratively the whole time. Did you see the, the, the women? So this movie was written by two women. I noticed that. That never happens. <laughs> right. And they're both like, their careers are just like, wild so i wanted they were they're both actors that became writers one of the writers deanna oliver was the voice of toaster in the brave little toaster (gasps) i love the toaster yeah and sherry stoner and she and sherry stoner the other writer were both voices on the animaniacs which i'm assuming is how they met but i don't know wow isn't that wild that's amazing I feel like I that's can't amazing. think of many voice actors who've written, and that's so cool. Well, and The Brave Little Toaster is also like a very affecting movie, which I credit for my inability to get rid of appliances. <laughs> and it's about being lonely and left behind because your mm-hmm. humans have moved on and they don't realize you're sentient. Uh, oh the God. same itch that like Jesse's song in Toy Story 2 scratches that like I'm just like, oh, oh I can God. never give away a toy. It will develop clinical depression. What is it with all this media like teaching us? Not to throw stuff away. That's a great question. Or even give it away. <laughs> or give it or do yeah, or like be like take it out of our homes for any reason. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Cause yeah. like what it like it's not it's the reverse ideology that like you would think any capitalistic entity would would want you to have. They would want you to throw stuff right. away as soon as possible so you can get new right. stuff. Never buy a new toy. <laughs> Keep giving children the same cowboy for 60 years. <laughs> I, unless it's like you should develop an emotional like I don't know. I, I guess is there a capitalistic benefit to becoming very emotional towards objects that you buy? I don't really I don't know. I guess so. In like, I mean, speaking, Sarah, of your extraordinarily <laughs> astute connection between uh, Casper and Charles Foster Kane, in <laughs> cinema, at least, the idea that like an inanimate object is imbued with story and spirit and background and personality that's as old as cinema itself. So like maybe that's, you know. That's where it's coming from. But who who knows? Right. That's a great well, question. I you know, yeah. And when people bring up haunted dolls, and Jamie, we've talked about haunted dolls on You're Wrong About and how <laughs> for hours on end, yeah. And in a cut section, uh, how the actual Annabelle got her own first class ticket, I believe, when she had to travel. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was a she was a motivated woman. <laughs> she was a girl boss. 
she raggedy and to riches, if you will. Um, <laughs> but to me, the thing about dolls, it's kind of like with clowns, which uh, Chelsea Weber Smith has has talked about as well. How like mm. clowns didn't used to be this like wholesome thing that everybody understood to be like adorable and for children. Like they were always supposed to be a little unsettling. It's like a clown's mm. job to unsettle. And my understanding is that it appears that dolls first were used like more typically as like a ceremonial object because they did represent humans in some way and then over time as it became easier to produce objects and we became more rich in objects as various cultures uh, mm -hmm. changed in that direction then they started existing as playthings and so like hmm. we've always recognized them first as something imbued with like some kind of power and some kind of connection to the human spirit. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. And then and then we would only be able to accomplish that as time went on via putting um toys in magical cupboards. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and also and I'm sure we talked about this when we talked about the conjuring stuff, Jamie, but like mm -hmm. how much better would the Annabelle movies be if Annabelle looked like she did in real life and was a raggedy right. Ann doll, which I'm sure they couldn't do for copyright reasons, but oh my God. But just making it like, yeah, making it uh, something that is very likely already in your house and very ready to kill you is so thrilling. <laughs> but in the same, but like, it, and I feel like that same logic applies to the toaster. Like, I don't know. I remember seeing the brave little toaster for the first time and all of a sudden having an emotional attachment to a toaster that my parents had probably had for like 15 years like i don't i don't know what the motivation is but i i appreciate as someone who does not throw anything away i'm like yeah it's because i don't it's not it's not my mental illness it's that i don't want to hurt their feelings <laughs> yeah <laughs> which which <laughs> <laughs> it's not my mental illness it's that i don't want to hurt their feelings is my favorite statement that i've heard in a while <laughs> <laughs> and then i just like point at my shelf full sarah's seen my shelf full. i have too many dolls at my house i'm just looking at all my dolls like yeah i mean you wouldn't want to <laughs> piss these guys off would you no <laughs> no not if your dumpster doesn't have a lock on it. I mean, I would, here, here's my galaxy brain idea. A, I think that it's just a basic human thing to attribute some kind of spirit or existence or agency even to the objects in our home, especially the humanoid ones. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you don't feel creeped out by dolls as a concept, I defy you to go stay at like one of those Victorian B and B's yeah, no where there's like 30 oh, porcelain yeah. dolls all looking at you. Like, can you sleep with them all looking at you? But I also think that Disney, as a mega corporation, does understand that it's in their interest to create a connection in the mind of their consumer between like the object, like the merch, and the mm -hmm. experience of wonder and what the whole Disney package represents. True. Because I yeah. feel like at this point, Actual admission to the Disney parks has to be kind of a loss leader and they're really making their money on ears and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It's so expensive to go to Disneyland as someone who yeah. really loves the Incredibles roller coaster. But yeah, it's like I, I guess that, yeah, in that way, selling a fondness for objects, especially with with if you're trying to move toys, which this movie definitely was. I have like I don't know where they're originally from. I have some old um like fast food 
plastic collectible plastic holographic Casper cups at my house. I think those are from Burger King. Are they from Burger? Okay. I don't know why I like have that in my immediately in my brain. <laughs> You're like, I know exactly where they're from. They're great cups. I feel like that makes sense though. Yeah. Because I feel like Burger King, like they also did the Anastasia toys, right? They got the non-Disney properties. Oh, there's a whole, uh, I, I know I, it might have been a defunct land video that like fully unpacks the history of like Disney waging war and like just basically like having all of this power o- between McDonald's and Mc, uh, Burger King contracts just to like get more money and stuff. It's wild. Oh my God. Wait, I have one more thing about Sherry Stoner, and I know this is like off topic, oh, yeah. but I, it's going to be stuck in my head until I say it. I think I know what you're going to say. I'm so excited. <gasps> Do it. Yay. Okay. So, just like these two writers have such fascinating careers, everything about them is interesting, yes! and everything's a left. So, Sherry Stoner uh, was the animation reference model for Ariel in Disney's The Little Mermaid what? and for Belle in Beauty and the Beast. It's crazy. What? Sarah, Sarah, just go- do a Google image search of Sherry Lynn Stoner. Okay. And the pictures that come up of her side by side of her reference to Ariel are doing something. It's crazy. Did they have her, did they like wrap her legs up or anything? No, it's like little facial, like, okay, it says on the Wikipedia page, the scholarly journal Wikipedia Ariel frequently bites her lower lip and Belle often brushes her hair away from her face. Both of these are mannerisms of stoner that she's just like a beloved animation girl of the 90s. Oh, she's doing the hair with the fork brush. Oh, she's doing it. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is amazing. The one where it's just like her holding her ponytail and then it's like Ariel, Ariel holding her ponytail as well. Also, there's like something about like the quality of the video where in the background it's green and it looks like she's on the set of You Can't Do That on Television. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This is this is like the degree of wonder I felt when I first found the footage of Jerry Orbach singing Be Our Guest. Oh, yeah. That's wow. Can we talk about what the ending of this movie implies? Like, how is life going to be from now on? Because we kind of do the Beetlejuice ending where it's like, yeah, we have a ghost now and Casper continues to live here and we're all having fun and the uncles are good, I guess. And this is our life. (laughs) I love that it just abruptly transitions from like, yeah, the kiss, a bunch of resolution back to back to back. And then once Casper is a ghost again, it's understood that they're never going to kiss again. They can only kiss when he's Devin Sawa. And then they end on a musical number, like a guitar. The uncles are like, and then I I don't know. I don't I I guess I never thought about what happened. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I guess it ends with a guitar solo. What if they can kiss again? What if they're what if they're just going to be like boyfriend and girlfriend for like 11 months and then like grow apart and he'll get more into swing choir? <laughs> so I don't understand why I don't understand why they can't kiss because at one point speaking of weird ghost physics, he's able to shut her mouth. 
with his body. He's able to pull her along, like like pulling her hand and and pull her through a room. At one point, she falls and lands on his mass. Like I don't understand why he can't kiss. Oh, I think yeah. that they can work it out later. You just gotta get a mouthful of hot water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, that song that you brought up, Jamie, that they end this movie on, I immediately was like, "Is this Little Richard?" And yes, it's Little Richard. What is it? <gasps> yes. It's wow. Little Richard. Wow. Little Richard sings wow. Casper the Friendly Ghost at the end of this movie. <laughs> what on earth? This movie rocks so much, like in ways yeah. that I didn't even previously realize was possible. Well, and they also, they also wow. at the dance, I could not get over the fact that the one pop song that they play outside of, of course, Little Richard's famous rendition of Casper the Friendly Ghost is <laughs> they play same song by Digital Underground. They play effectively I don't even know what that is it's a shock G in Tupac song produced by Bootsy Collins at this dance for kids <laughs> it was so good I still only know who one of those people are I think I can guess which <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do we see in this boy who desperately wants to connect <laughs> I feel like you're describing like, ev- like I, you know, because I guess I'm off like a serial killer project and I'm like, what can we see in these boys who desperately want to connect? Many of them mean well, but. Uh, They're very messy about it. It's the Jordan Peterson interview that just came out. Oh it's God. like these, these young men. They just, it just breaks my heart. They just want to connect. I did, I did bring up to you, Sarah, that like speaking of just wants to connect and is put upon and has to deal with all these people. Like Casper shares with Leatherface the same house dynamic where yes, he has to take completely. He has to take care of the elders who are really abusive to him. Yeah. He just wants to like hang, but like he just keeps getting intruded upon. He's and you called him smooth, yeah. smooth leather, Leatherface. <laughs> He is. Yeah. No, I totally agree. He's got mean older male relatives who he's just like submissively trying to please all the time and people keep coming into his house. Mom's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aww. Did Leatherface have a really cool train set though, you know? Uh maybe he made one for himself out of pecan shells <laughs> yeah and i'm sure what leatherface is trying to say although he has poor addiction is like can i keep you <laughs> he is saying that well th- this is a realization i had also while like working on this this serial killer project which like didn't make it into the piece because i i don't know there's only so many thoughts i can like fit into a linear format but that um thunder road by Bruce Springsteen and Joyce Carol Oates's uh, famous short story, Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? About a serial killer coming to your door and being like, come for a ride, pretty lady. We both understand I'm going to murder you. <laughs> are the same story. Like how the, the height of romance in a way is to be murdered because like romance is about some guy taking you away from everything you've ever known and about, you know, historically mm-hmm. him having total dominance over your life and what it's going to become. And also maybe you dying because that happens to women who have babies a lot historically. Because mm-hmm. Casper is in the same, like, I love Casper. I love Casper the ghost. I don't think that Casper is an incel. <laughs> um, and let me just be on the record saying <laughs> Casper, in my opinion, is not an incel. That's merch. 
<laughs> <He's> a, <laughs> can a twelve-year-old be an incel? Is there is there an age where you? Oh boy, I don't yeah. know. But that's like a, that's a question that like researching would lead to some scary, worrying stuff. But like, I guess I would be alarmed if you knew the answer to that question. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> Like, the thing I always remember about Twilight is that, like, the dream Stephanie Meyer had that inspired it was that, like, there's a boy and a girl standing in a field, and the boy desperately wants to eat the girl because he loves her. And then she woke up, and she was like, I know what I'll do. And that just feels instructive, where it's like the sort of dreams of romance that you grow up with, or that I grew up with. Maybe a lot of people grew up and like encountered those stories and were like, this is fucking weird and scary. I'm going to watch Power Rangers. But I was very like Beauty and the Beast, East of the Sun, West of the Moon, Labyrinth, like all the stories about some creepy guy being like, you're the perfect woman for me, and I'm taking you away to the land of the dead. Right. Um Hades and Persephone, famously. It's a whole theme. It's a whole thing. A lot of can I keep you, can I keep you types. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just like growing up with this idea that like heteronormative romance is somewhere on the can I keep you spectrum. And then Mm -hmm. being like, what if we just got beyond that totally? What would that involve? (laughs) Yeah. Casper's, you know, to your point, like Casper and Leatherface are trying to keep like a lot of the serial killer boys are trying to keep. Freddy's trying to keep. Yep. Right. See, now, Freddie is someone with, I think, yeah, famously much better boundaries than someone like Casper. (laughs) (laughs) Freddie Krueger, famous for his boundaries. He's just going to suck your boyfriend into his bed and liquefy him and shoot him out onto the ceiling. (laughs) The Leatherface comparison is fascinating to me because it like in order for this story to work, you have to be convinced that these abusive uncles are actually great guys. Right. <laughs> or it doesn't, or it gets way dark. Do we see our imaginary Gary Marshall being like, we have to keep all the principles alive so we can have sequels, like we can't kill off these gross uncle characters mm-hmm. or have Casper ascend to, you know, to go be with Patrick Swayze and in, in the ghost's heavenly reward place the gary marshall character is asked how the movie ends and he's just like i don't know little richard (laughs) i like the idea that like the ghosts they're rude like at they also at some point say we've got a real closet case which i really don't didn't know necessarily how to feel about uh when that's one of their quips they also talk shit about oprah's uh body sized um yeah but which is a weird which is like a thing people were talking about they're like it's the 90s we gotta be mean gotta do it gotta be mean about the body the concept of the character fatso at all you're just like oh jesus like yeah but I like the idea that it's like this isn't a this isn't like a Marvel movie, which like sometimes is like too many villains. Like we just it's hard, hard to pay attention to who is the actual villain with what gravity. The humans are the villains and these guys are just rude. They're just they're just mean, don't have boundaries and are able to grow and somehow show them. like I said earlier in jest, but also kind of in reality, somehow show the most growth. And like in almost every horror movie, the actual villain is a real person. Yeah. It's funny, too, how like not only are they abusive to Casper, but they also 
kill Bill Pullman and <laughs> never see any comeuppance for that. Well, they do, but they, I think that the movie tries to cut it both ways because they don't mm. technically, they, they were going to kill him, but then he kissed them and right. they're like, oh, right. well, maybe we'll let him live. And then he stumbled into an open trench. Yeah. And I would guess that then that gets into like, how much do they know? Are they omniscient? Do they know about the trench? Do they come here a lot? Like it gets into speculation. Oh, this is just uh, when we covered this movie on the Bechdel cast. And I watched this movie at least once a year, but I never really thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's like the night of Kat's big party. And Bill Pullman is not helping her he's blackout drunk (laughs) somewhere nearby not an amazing parenting moment for bill pullman no bill pullman's not a good dad he makes her wear a t-shirt under under a swimming swimming suit oh my god he's what was that about he yeah he there but their whole thing like that they want to do speaks to I can't believe the Jordan Peterson thing came up because it's actually fucking perfect is like what they want to do with Bill Pullman is kind of what Casper wants to do with Kat, which is keep their human counterpart Yeah, because like they don't have a whole lot of options where they're at. They don't know how to be like deeper than what they've been exposed to. And they lash out in really shitty and terrifying ways. Um, like boys a lot of the time. Wow. (laughs) They're just not taught any other way outside of like, hold on for dear life. And if you can't have them, kill them. Right. I think the thing about Jordan Peterson is just that like, He really thinks he's smart and he carries himself like a smart person and he talks like he's a smart person. And I just think he's like dumb as a box of rocks. He's like a serial killer. (laughs) I mean, like surely by way of anyone who has been moved or radicalized by him and maybe done a bad thing that resulted in a person not being alive anymore or at the very least like being a bully or shitty, like being a catalyst of bad things. Being part of the bad shit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And then being pretending to be smart or being regarded as smart by by onlookers and a lot of the media having a body count being a bit of a monster like at the very <laughs> like it it overlaps with with your whole sort of analysis of like the role of of what serial killers are and like the popular oh. imagination or at the very least he's, he's like kind of like a movie monster <laughs> So, like, to your, your point is that, like, you don't have to be smart to catalyze men being shitty. You just have to, like, sing the song they're humming and they'll sing with Shockingly you. not. Yeah. To be a man yeah. whisperer, you actually don't have to be so smart. You just have to whisper. It kind of helps if you're not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it is. it appears to be 75% owning a suit. Yeah. <laughs> a specific sort of weird suit. Jordan Peterson yeah. is also a great example. And Ted Bundy, too, because he was a law student. And this is such a big part of the whole thing of like how we confuse education with intelligence. That's a great point. And he uses some big words. And it's like, OK, like, do you have a coherent theory at all to share with us? No. <laughs> Are you remotely emotionally intelligent? That's like I think oh, that like sends me like ricocheting back to Mensa stuff against my will where it's like even if you are like intelligent which I don't think Jordan Peterson is you need like a level of emotional intelligence to go with that but people just don't value emotional intelligence right because you can't apply eugenics to that what good could it do us (laughs) well I think you know I 
of all the people I know who are sort of who are in my life that have ever expressed anything positive about Peterson, you know, it's it's usually a man who's like, this person acknowledged that my feelings of alienation are legitimate, right? And like, yes, there are so many people that acknowledge your feelings of alienation are legitimate. I think like what Peterson ultimately does for these people that they don't realize is speaking to a bias is he makes those feelings as if they are, they have been like personally slighted and let down by a right. promise that was never actually made to them. Huh. And like, that's not mm-hmm. a hard thing to do. You don't have to be very smart to do that. <laughs> you just have to, <laughs> you just have to like have a suit and then have someone in the popular media say that maybe you are smart and that gives <laughs> someone the legitimacy uh, that they need in order to like believe in that myth for the rest of their lives. And be affiliated with a university mm-hmm. because God knows academia, you know, everybody is smart there <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Yeah, Sarah, that's what you always say of your experience in academia, right? And look at me. Some of the healthiest people you've ever met. (laughs) Just incredibly healthy people. Yeah, myself included. People who really have their priorities balanced and are able to give the time and energy necessary to their families and their emotional health. And, you know, and well, and also I would say that like an emotionally intelligent and artistically sound, in my opinion, way of addressing these feelings of like let downness and alienation is to be Bruce Springsteen and write glory days, you know, (laughs) which is a great song about which, you know, many songs are about, you could also say night moves (laughs) kind of falls into this, but I guess like, (laughs) yeah, you get older and you used to think that there were things that you could do that it turns out you didn't do or couldn't do, or I guess life didn't move in that direction. You're less attractive than you used to be, and maybe you never were that attractive. And um, just make it a song. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to put it to a beat. That's all. Oh, my God. That, like, kicks me back to the Brad Silverling stuff where it's like, well, what do you do with, you know, such a massive amount of grief? And Mm. it's like amazing that there's even a possibility that some of that grief was productively handled in the 1995 film Casper like (laughs) (laughs) so wild and kind of like a I don't know it's beautiful I love it yeah this goes to something I tend to think about horror movies and children's movies and children's media and really like any format that doesn't tend to get overwhelmed by critical attention that I feel like sometimes people can have more space to be daring and and like maybe work through some stuff in a way that they couldn't if it was like, okay, we're making the big action movie. So everything has to have the atmosphere of American cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And the smell, the stink of it. The stink, like Casper's water. Actually, American cheese would scan for me as this as the stink of Casper's water. Oh. Wow. That it was work. must. What was yours, Sarah? Gain. Gain in American cheese. Put it on a Twitter poll. That's if we're the three uncles, we're must gain in American cheese. <laughs> or also it's a sentence. Must gain American cheese. This is what we must amass during our human lives. 
You confused this it is, with currency. This is the this was the post the what they put on the blurb on the poster for Stuart Little was must gain American. I'm so sorry, that was a terrible <laughs> dad pun. <laughs> Something that stuck out to me on this viewing was that like I I I love Kerrigan and Dibs so much. I feel like they're so such like. They're just like cartoon characters. Like they're so fun to watch. Yeah. But then they end up like they they're like very quickly done away with. And they go out in like a blaze of glory. Uh I I know that this like whatever, it's a moment where the feminism briefly leaves your body because I love <laughs> when Eric Idle calls her a bitch. I love it. He's like, I'm gonna have a house with purple wallpaper and green rugs and a little dog, a bitch just like you. And you're like, ah! It's great. <laughs> it's like the part of the end of Misery where you're like, get her, James Caan. Right. And then Brutalize like, no. that woman. Hit her in the head with your typewriter. And you're like, oh, God, Sarah, what's happened to you? What happened? <laughs> but I like that they're ultimately like they're, they're not really the, the big bad of the movie because they do eat they, like they do away with each other. And it mm. feels like the big bad of the movie is like grief (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah totally and like the decisions we make because of it and like being able to reverse some of it because it's a kids movie and the i don't know it feels like a lot of wish fulfillment that other movies don't give you that makes me wonder why other movies act like it's impossible to give this degree of wish fulfillment Mm. Is there any more ground that we want to make sure that we cover before we talk about daddies? <laughs> I don't know. I I just I I really everybody gets what they want at the end of the movie and that's like that's really beautiful and really nice except for, you know, Kerrigan and Dibs, but then they get to live in hell forever together and that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I it would like hit a little harder for me if like Casper and Kat were like just had like a very deep friendship because the way that they connect is so like rooted in like shared grief and like questions that the other can like try to answer for each other about the afterlife and sometimes I'm like, "Oh, I feel like it'd be even more interesting if they were just if they were just in the way that I guess Bill Pullman is is with the three evil uncles, just like forming this deep sort of sort of romantic, but mostly like just deep friendship. Right. Or to Sarah's point about Beetle, like, is this a Beetlejuice ending? Like 14 year old Lydia Dietz is friends with two 30 year old ghosts yeah. that live in her house. Like they have a real friend. They right. know things about each other. They've gone through shit together. They're they she knows their interests. Miniatures. <laughs> ends up like the real connection that they have is like Casper's existence kind of hints at the idea that maybe her mom doesn't remember her in the afterlife, which is right. so big to deal with. Oh, I kind of love that the movie is like, we're not getting into it though. But that lighthouse <laughs> scene always gets me. We know that Bill Pullman is a father uh, in the movie. We also know um, that Casper's father uh, was an inventor. That's not usually how this question goes. Um, <laughs> all of that said, and I have a feeling I know where you are going to take this. All of that said, who is the daddy in Casper? I would say the daddy is Christina Ricci because she's just like very self-possessed and awesome. And she feels like a real tween and she's, 
I don't know. I that her her character felt like very substantial and real and not pandering to tween girls to me in a similar way to Harriet the Spy, who we talked about recently. And I think she's going to have adequate boundaries to deal with this whole Casper situation. And I hope that I learn more about it in all of the AO3 fan fiction I will be reading later today. (laughs) (laughs) Great news. Jamie. So obviously there's the horny answer that we can't just leave hanging in the air like a thick fog, which is that Bill Pullman is devastatingly hot in this movie and it's upsetting to me. It feels like an attack. Uh, But I would say he's he's also he's not a great dad in the movie. I think he's still very much like working through his own grief and not considering his daughter really at all while he's working through his own grief. So he's not the daddy. Casper's daddy isn't the daddy. I think for me, Kerrigan is the daddy Mm. of the movie because she's the only character in the movie who could give a rat's ass about daddies. She's not interested in, she doesn't appear to be mourning her dad at all to a cartoonish extent. She is just fully diabolical. I, I just I, I love that that character chooses chaos, a real a real iconic New England girl boss, if ever there were one she, in the space of five minutes, kisses Eric Idle on the mouth until he goes cross eyed for some reason and then um, also tries to kill him with a stick poke. It's true. Until you said the New England thing, it didn't strike me that this character has a lot in common with your character in your Joey Chestnut play. <laughs> <laughs> she, look maybe i maybe that's what i'll look back on and be like wow it really all did co- go back to Car- kathy moriarty and casper oh, I uh, hope so. also she's in a she's in a lineage with joan cusack and adam's family values is like a yes. femme fatale blonde who came to a new england mansion with murder on her mind ah <laughs> uh. What the golden age? The golden age. <laughs> um, yeah, I love I love Kerrigan. Um, she, I'm sure she does. I, I would. I'm like. I wonder what Kerrigan's relationship with her father was. It seems like he was a very <laughs> kind man, and he just um, had the meanest daughter of all time. And uh, I love that for her. And I love that she dies by <laughs> not checking to see if she she knows she's on the edge of a cliff. Um, but she doesn't check before she gets out of her car and i can relate with that i'm i i can be careless like that um kerriganless if you will Ah. very very good There, there are so many. There are so many options, right? There's, there's Sherry Stoner in side by side video pictures of her next to uh, Ariel. Mm-hmm. We also have Little Richard, who's saying the classic Casper the Friendly Ghost. Not technically in the movie, he could be the daddy, but that is not what I'm picking. I think overall, <laughs> it's not the abusive teacher. Certainly not the abusive teacher. I'm gonna uh, go with Brad Silverling, Ooh. who uh, turned a very complicated grieving process. I don't know any of this. I'm projecting it. I haven't read anything about what actually went into this. Turned a very difficult life situation into an exploration of themes for tweens. Mm-hmm. 
And this, by the way, this came out on May, on May 26th of 1995, which is a very, I know it's blockbuster time. This was like a huge CGI movie, but it's funny to think about going to watch this in the theater mm-hmm. in May, a movie about Maine and autumn on May 26th. <laughs> <laughs> the, the seasonality for so many movies you're just like why would you do that like I, Batman Returns <laughs> right. which we talked about in this show being possibly the greatest Christmas movie I think came out in July of course it did <laughs> for what wow that's fascinating oh my god um, Jamie how do people there's got to be a million ways that people can find you but how would you like people to find you in your work uh, out in the internet land you know uh, follow your heart. You you can. Uh, I'm still on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help and Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar. And that's how you can find me. And and uh, listen to the Bechdel Cast. Beautiful. What my favorite movie podcast. It's the best. <laughs> this is my favorite movie podcast. It's Aww, it's all it happening. Is friendship it's all happening i also like how you have a a specific ghost related yeah. project oh, right. oh my like, god wait yeah no, find it or they won't thank you sarah marshall you're right oh, <laughs> you're so prolific it's hard to keep track <laughs> if you want to hear me talk about ghosts more i did i just yeah I, a couple months ago i finished a uh new series called ghost church that was about time i spent uh in central florida with um a community of uh, people in casadega who speak to the dead for a living so it's been a very it's been a very ghosty year for all jamie and i had a good time making the show and you can hear about kind of the history of americans and 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 their ghosts Mm. it's tremendous thanks for being here Yeah, I'm so happy you made it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking about ghosts with us. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you, of course, to Jamie Loftus for being on the show. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the show. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing this episode. Thank you to Fresh Lush for providing the beats. Thank you to you for supporting us on Patreon or subscribing on Apple. We appreciate your support. You help make this whole thing possible. Multitude handles all of our ad stuff. So if you ever want to advertise on the show, get in touch with the fine folks at Multitude. Info in the show notes. Don't forget the playlist. Next week, everybody, we talk Blue Velvet with Kevin Allison. You, my friend are good. I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care out there.